When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Namaste, Welcome to Namaste, Motherfuckers, the only podcast where the worlds of work, comedy, and well being collide. I'm your host, Callie Beaton, and this episode is called Animal Magic partly because of today's guest, but also as a nod to the 1970s TV presenter, Johnny Morris. Simpler times, although actually, maybe not quite so simple as we thought. But never mind that, let's get back to raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. You're more likely, apparently, to accidentally call a family member by your pet's name if you have a dog than a cat, or if you're going through the menopause. Before proposing to his cousin, Charles Darwin wrote a list of pros and cons. The pros included constant companion and better than a dog. The cons, less money for books and forced to visit relatives. Strangely on the cons list wasn't, she's my cousin. Those crazy periods when your pet suddenly zooms all over the place for no apparent reason are officially called frenetic random activity periods. I think we'll just keep calling them zoomies. According to a study at the University of Texas, dog owners are 15% more extroverted than cat owners. You might see Mr. Binks on the sofa. I want to see Mr. Binks, otherwise I feel shortchanged. That's my guest today, dog trainer, behaviorist and nutritionist, Anna Webb. Cuddling a dog can relieve stress for up to six weeks afterwards. There was an American baseball player called Rube Waddell who liked puppies so much that fans of whichever team he was playing against would bring their dogs along to the game and they'd hold them up in his sight line. He would then run over to play with the dogs instead of focusing on the game. And in Naples, there's a dog DNA database which has been created so that if a dog shits on the pavement, it can be traced back to the owner who is then sent a bill for 500 euros. Maybe it's like a speeding ticket and you can go on a dog shit awareness course as long as it's your first offence and it only shat 10% over the pavement. Okay, cool. Are we doing video or is it just... Should we do video? Anna Webb is one of the UK's leading authorities on dog training, behaviour and nutrition and appears frequently on TV and radio. She has co-hosted BBC Radio London's The Barking Hour for over a decade and is the presenter of hit podcast A Dog's Life. She was one half of The Barking Blondes with broadcaster Joe Good and a regular on ITV's Titchmarsh show, Channel 5's Gabby Logan show, and she featured in Sky One's documentary, A Different Breed. She's also appeared as a spokesperson on BBC Breakfast, ITV's This Morning, The Right Stuff, and The Jeremy Vine Show. Anna and I talked about dog telepathy, cats versus dogs, the countryside versus London, 
runners versus everyone, dads and their daughters, autism, lockdown dogs, therapy animals, puppy schools, and Blue Peter. But I started by asking her about hosting the Barking Hour. So I've done it for 12 years. (laughs) 12 years since you were 24 exactly (laughs) (laughs) and the thing is it's a phenomenon because you know for the BBC to have a dedicated dog slot it is unique there's only one other such radio show and that's in America and it's uh you know I think it's called Animal News or something um so (laughs) 12 years so yeah so we aired um originally in 2010 and um and we filled two hours every Thursday night on the late show from 10 till midnight um and that's what sort of spiraled it that got us our book deal that got us this sky uh, series this got us the Titmarsh show which really was the big deal you know suddenly so that was nowhere. ITV1 the Titmarsh yeah, show you yeah. were there as a experts um, yeah what, how did they well first of all how would you describe what you do to listeners okay so um I basically combined my psychology degree with um a study I did with the College of Integrated Veterinary Therapies which is all about natural solutions and working with your your dog's body holistically um to offer nutrition and behavior advice and other therapies I also do a lot of writing uh content provision uh you know I team up and collaborate with very carefully, you know, <laughs> vetted brands that I truly approve of. Um, and you have no... a podcast as well, which yes, is with the same producer as this podcast. Yes. So, a Dog's Life. The fantastic Mike Hansen at Pod People. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so it... we'll definitely put links to that in because obviously it's all yeah. for Mike's benefit. Hello, podcast pedants. It's producer Mike here to say, yes, my ears are burning and yes, my cheeks are blushing. You guys, stop. Um, and that's and that's a really because one of the, I got into that before I was working with Mike on this podcast. Right. I loved that for my brother is a scientist, and I was really interested in Rupert Sheldrake, uh, which was your and he was your first guest. So, and this is in its own right, we could easily just spend the whole episode on this. But Rupert oh, Sheldrake, it's all about so the episode was about sort of sixth sense and animal in particular dog telepathy that's right Um, but yes so and we'll put a link to that episode but I think I got the sense that he also he's he's a name that also blew your skirt up not literally because he's quite (laughs) a sensible Cambridge Don but it was (laughs) so if you're listening to this what are you talking about but so so that episode which is a really really good introduction to your podcast all right all right enough about Rupert more about me but what, what, so you, it seems to me when I've heard you talk about that episode, that there's a bit of sort of fangirling going on about Rupert Sheldrake and his work. So t- tell us a bit about that. Well, okay. So in 2008, um, I was working with um, uh, the groundbreaking charity Medical Detection Dogs. And the amazing doctor that had the inspiration for the charity, um, a wonderful 
uh, man um, called John. He said to me he'd worked in uh, Rwanda. It's kind of complicated. But anyway, he believed dogs had the capacity to use their sense of smell to find volatile organic compounds of disease so that disease had an odor. But he also believed there was a lot more to it than that. And dogs had a knowingness about them. And he said to me one day, my dear, you must have read Sheldrake. And I said, no, who's Sheldrake? He went, oh, my dear, Rupert Sheldrake, get the book Dogs That Know When Their Owners Are Coming Home. So I did. And I read it. And it did blow my skirt away, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, I've lived around dogs all my life really well I grew up with dogs and then I wasn't able to have a dog of my own until I was 37 you know when I was freelance living in a property that was dog friendly and that was in London because you grew up in Shropshire and your dad in terms of your sort of the influence for you getting into animals and dogs so you know Mm, as a mm. child you were with animals, you went horse riding. You had a, you had a dog, Tina, your first dog. Gosh, your research. My yes. research well, it's because we have we have the same producer. He just sent me notes. No, he didn't. I listened to all your <laughs> stuff, but it, 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 I was really interested in your. So your dad, your dad was um, was a secretary for the RSPCA, right? He was secretary of the your local yeah. RSPCA, and it sounds as if on the one hand he totally inspired you to get into animals, but on the other hand, there was some sort of complexities around that. So, cause I was quite interested in that combination. Yeah, no, oh God, you picked up on that. Um, yeah, dad and I were just completely different. And I thought, you know, for years he must've thought, how on earth have I created um, Anna, you know? Um, were you an was, only child, Anna? No, I've got a younger sister, younger sister. Um, who's completely different, right. more like him in many ways. So I had creative ambitions that were kind of thwarted by having to do an academic degree Mm -hmm. which you know I struggled with um you know um but we only really got on um when we were around animals you know and I do remember him taking me for my riding lessons with great fondness um and he would watch and then obviously give me a critique afterwards because he could ride um but I didn't mind that was that was okay and around dogs you know it was actually um you know dad that really because he often criticised me, you see, and um, as, as dads do, he wanted the best, you know, as the eldest, all the rest of it. I'm sure it was all well intended. Um, but the only time he really paid me compliments was when we were around dogs. Oh, okay. oh, Anna, you're very natural with dogs. Of course, he taught me everything, how to approach dogs, you know, from the get go before I could probably really remember. I remember once meeting my uncle Leslie, his um, dad's brother's bull terrier, and dad was a little hesitant about I was tiny and I remember this so vividly I remember patting this big white bull terrier on the head and it's just a fleeting memory that's completely weird and dad was very conscious to make sure the dog didn't jump or get excitable because he would have pushed me over because I would was tiny. Would he have tiny. been a similar size to you? Do you remember going eye to eye? Yeah it would have been bigger would have been bigger because right. it was a proper big bull terrier so and I was very And bull young. breeds don't have a great reputation to this day do they? So that's Well a I love bull breeds I mean that was what you're a, was, you're a bull so. breed poster girl yeah but that that's just kind of oh gosh I haven't talked about that for ever really but that was so was that's that your my dad, first but, dog encounter that you remember then that, that um, particular it one. could well be actually yeah. to be quite honest um and then we had our family dogs and so on which obviously I've got loads of memories of but dogs are always around and always around lots of our family 
years we lived in the shires um so dogs were kind of always around and i would always gravitate when we went to visit family to the dogs i felt more comfortable around dogs than um people actually that's so, interesting because i think mm. I, I was saying to you before we hit record about my son being but listeners know that my son's an autistic zookeeper and it was it's been really interesting watching him process the world in a way that he sometimes deciphers human behavior he particularly works with primates mm. and he can often de- decode human behavior in the form of how primates would do it and he's got an incredibly nuanced understanding of us but learnt through animals rather than the other way around and uh, which kind of circles back a bit to Rupert Sheldrake in terms yeah, of does. who's in charge the animal or the human um so, so yeah t- you were talking a bit about Rupert Sheldrake and yeah how you kind of discovered him okay so I'm reading his book um and um we have this moment, okay, where I'm lost um, on uh, on Exmoor, or it might be Dartmoor, the one that runs through near Tavistock in Devon. You wouldn't and, have known uh, if you were lost. It could have been anywhere. No, exactly. It really was. It was very dark. <laughs> it was very scary. It was 2008, so sat-navs were still a bit basic. Yeah. And in Devon, the signal for orange, as it was then, um, you know, it was very poor. So suddenly the last thing I heard the sat-nav girl say was, um, continue forward for seven miles. I was like, oh, right, oh you know and um and it's getting darker there's no light so we're sit we're seriously obviously on this more molly meanwhile is i'm in my mini and she sat on the passenger seat as she always did in her seatbelt, and um she would sit bolt upright looking straight ahead or in the wing mirror and then she suddenly looks at me looks at the window looks at me looks out of the window and um it's as though she's trying to tell me something um, so this is where it kind of all began. And I then said out loud, I know we're lost. So then she started to look at the rear window and I went, all right, you're right. We're turning round. So it's a tiny track. It was a nightmare. And my mini came in really well. And we zoomed into this U-turn and headed back. And we found a pub where we could use the landline because I still had no sig- signal. Um, and um, that was what sort of I thought was really weird. And, um, and, and then reading the book kind of at the same time or just after, it was like I was vindicated, really, because, you know, people, I would say, oh, Molly, you know, knows and they would say, no, she doesn't, because it isn't until really recently, um, circa only 10 years ago, that scientists have finally decided scientifically that dogs have emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And so not just I, dogs, right? It's particularly, yeah. the, it, Rupert Sheldrake talks a lot about dogs, but animals generally, this idea of, and they've done scientific experiments about, we know that dogs and cats will find their way sometimes hundreds of miles back to their home, but that yeah. it's more than a geographical sense they have, that they also have a sense, so they have a sense of when you're, coming home that is not based on your car engine noise it's not based on things that you could explain away there's something that's more of a telepathic link between owner and pet is that right exactly exactly that so um Rupert did loads of experiments um to prove that um you know, owners would be, say, at work. They wouldn't know when they were leaving, but they were beeped with a beeper to say, leave now. So to drop everything and head home. So there wasn't a time for that thought process to go on. Oh, it's quarter past four. I'm leaving in 15 minutes. See you soon if you're thinking about your dog. So it was totally randomised. And um, needless to say, every single time, all of these case studies, we're talking thousands of dogs, would move away from the bed they may have been lying in, go and 
perch looking out the window or just move closer to the door or just change their behavior in in a significant way, knowing that's the key word that their owners were on their way home. And so, of course, he used taxis and all sorts of things to um, eliminate all the key triggers like the car engine, as you said. Um, It's absolutely fascinating. Um, And I think a lot of people, you know, when you spend a lot of time with dogs or cats, cats as well, because I've got a cat, Callie. And um, I was pleased to hear you had a cat because I did. um, I did. I I sometimes do. I do bits of radio like you. And I did a debate on Colin Murray's show on Five Live recently, Mm. which was dogs versus cats. And I was asked to argue in (laughs) favour of cats. I actually love dogs as well, but I was given cats. And honestly, I've never known the nation give me such a bloody hard time. Everyone was no. like, of course, dogs are better than cats. Actually, I love them both. So you're a, you're not, you're, you're cat and dog agnostic. I'm cat and you? dog. You like them both. Absolutely. Well, it was only really when my cat Gremlin moved in with us 10 years ago. That's a long story in itself. Where was your uh, cat living before? Well, he was a stray kitten oh, that landed in my kitten. garden. Yeah. You say cats sometimes choose their people. I know. They? I didn't realize this. So, yeah. oh gosh, he didn't have a chip. Um, he still had his um his ghoulie on, and he made friends with Molly, my first bull terrier, who hated cats. And the whole thing was absolutely extraordinary, and they became the best friends. And um, I absolutely love him to pieces. But I talked to Rupert about that actually, because in his book, um, he talks about how cat owners will think come in now to their cats when they're out you know if you've got an outdoor cat and um cats then suddenly appear and they've come home and that happens with gremlin and the first time i did that it was a new year's eve he'd gotten out and all the fireworks and i was really stressing out so me and mole stayed up really late no sign of gremlin you know i'm really panicking and um And I'm just thinking, Gremlin, please come home. You know, Gremlin, where are you? You know, thinking all these thoughts, Mm -hmm. but in quite an agitated way in my mind, pacing up and down, you know, where is he? Where is he? Then suddenly, clank, 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 he's through the cat flap. Mm -hmm. You know, huge praise because obviously relief and so on. Now, it tends to be when I do this, I do this all the time, and it's when he's out just a bit too late for my liking. I'm getting a little bit, oh, it's time to come home now, Gremlin. And when I send those thoughts in that frame of mind, this is what I've kind of traced over the years. That's when it brings him home. So it's a car. Is there an element of calmness in it? So when you're sort of panicking about him, you wouldn't come home or does it not matter as long as you're focusing no, it, on get him home? No, it is when I've got that panic. When oh, it is pa- the panic. Yeah, it's like that urgency. So he real can really intention. pick up on a heightened kind of feeling. Yes. I, our cat, um, when Sid, our nearly 18-year-old cat, went just before he died, his behaviour suddenly changed quite dramatically. And he, he'd always been a real home cat. And then he just kept going AWOL and he'd be in the nearby gardens. And I thought, has he got dementia? Has he forgotten how to get home? But then it was definitely like he was almost avoiding us. And I think he was getting ready to die and thought Mm. he would just go off and quietly die. Obviously, I, being a control freak, you know, alpha female was not going to let that happen. So I decided I really, I knew he was getting close to death. But the thing I most noticed about Sid and I, we had to sort of mount a kind of neighborhood community effort to bring him home so I had to get everyone enlisted and in the end we got him home and when, the time I took him to the vet the very last time I took him to the vet I'm not crying now because it was only a couple of weeks ago but the time I last took him to the vet I, I knew the sort of night before when we had him in the house that and I should say at this point your lovely dog has just appeared which is very cheering oh my goodness That's um prudence prudence is beautiful and prudence is also a bull terrier, terrier. yeah yeah yes. 
Oh, I'm but, so but sorry Sid, to hear this. Yeah, Sid. So, but the amazing thing about Sid was, well, he wasn't just an amazing cat. I've had lots of cats, but he definitely will go down forever as, as one of the most special in my life. But he, so that last night, um, I had him sort of shut in my son's room because I couldn't let him go out of the house because I was scared he'd never come back. So we just snuggled into my son's room, who by then had left home. And he kept cuddling me a little bit and then he'd just go back onto the bed again. Um, and then the next day I took him to the vet sort of thinking I probably knew where this was going. But what was really interesting was he just went incredibly peaceful and connected. So when I tried to get him in the basket, which normally would be a frenzy, he just looked at me and sort of flopped into it, just looking at me very peacefully. And he was very peaceful all the way to the vet. And then we had an hour or two together once we knew what was he was going to have to be put to sleep. And he just sort of lay in my hands in the most beautiful, lovely, calm way. And you couldn't have had a more peaceful put to sleep. And I just thought anyone who says animals don't know, he got so calm and attached and sweet. And the connection was so, I mean, heartbreaking as well, because he could still make that connection. But I did think anyone who says there's not a connection between animals and owners, we were so connected at that point and it was so the right thing to be doing for him, devastating for us. So it, it was kind of um, heartening to think of that in a broader context that perhaps they do know and we are perhaps doing something that can be a service to them, even if it's enormously painful to us. Oh, I know. It's, um, it's a terrible decision to have to make. But Did you? Because um... Molly, your first dog which you got, and it's interesting that you got your first dog, having grown up in the countryside with horses and animals. And <laughs> like, I, I grew up in, um, it, well, first of all, in Buckinghamshire, but then in Dorset my, for most of my childhood. So we also had, when I was a small child, we had, you know, ducks and and goats and, and the whole thing. And then when we moved to Dorset, um, you know, more your sort of regular cats and dogs. But you then decided to get a dog in your 30s living on um, Lamb's Conduit Street. So quite a central London location to decide to go doggy. So what happened? Because I, I always think it's a bit I'm a bit scared of dog owners. I think, well, that's a whole other tribe that wouldn't want me in it. So how did you have the confidence to move into the sort of London dog owning tribe? Well, I'd wanted a dog for years and years and years, but I couldn't have one because I had to do the nine to five mouse wheel thing. Um, it was only really when I took the plunge to go freelance and. And um, I was living with my boyfriend at the time in a property that his parents owned. So it was dog friendly. We didn't have any landlords, nasty landlords to deal with. Because you should have held on to him. He sounds perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So you just go now, you know, God, but how time flies, Kelly. Um, And then what happened was... uh, yeah it's an interesting point you make because while I was like running around nine to five I kind of thought oh gosh I don't think London's really the place for dogs I'd go for walks on Hampstead Heath and think oh this is brilliant maybe you can have a dog in London and then I moved to Lambs Conduit Street which was full of dogs there were dogs everywhere I made friends with all of the dogs in fact our neighbor had a bull terrier called Bill and he was my really first bull terrier that I spent loads of time with I'd babysit Bill I'd walk Bill he'd come around Sunday lunch and I just was fascinated by this dog it was definitely different to our last family dog who was a staffy and um, that's where the bull terrier thing really began and people managed with the little parks around like Coram Fields and Lincoln's Inn Fields. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know that really is quite central London it's that bit because so so I live out near Hampstead Heath I say right. oh, that's still quite central nowadays very, isn't it but, yeah. but it's I mean Hampstead Heath is a massive sprawling green space and therefore tons of dogs but where you were wouldn't necessarily be a place that you would think of as a dog friendly no, haven. No I mean 
mean, Lamb's Conduit Street is off Theobald's Road, which is WC1, and it's Bloomsbury. Yeah. So Virginia Woolf would have hung out around there, very close to Great Ormond Street Hospital. So very urban, but there were all these dogs, including Bill the Bull Terrier. So through Bill and his owner, I actually really totally learned that actually you can have a dog in this area because we had easy walking distance to some reasonable green spaces. And obviously, I've, I've always driven, always had a mini. So we were able to, you know, get out, get up to Shropshire where mum was and all the rest of it quite easily. So, um, and bull terriers tend to be quite lazy dogs. I think it depends on the type of dog you bring into London. I'm not a super fan of having, say, a working cocker spaniel really in Bloomsbury that wouldn't work because they can't um, get the ex because my my I have a sort of bit of a similar thing to what you had with your surrogate dog before you've got your own dog which is one of my best friends lives opposite and she's got two standard wirehaired dachshunds who I've oh. known since they were well Sid her Sid since he was tiny and Gertie since she was a puppy and I walk with them with her at least once a week of sort of proper long walk and I I often um take them on my own and I dog sit for them and I just adore them and I and I think whenever I'm there particularly with Gertie who I've known since she was a, a tiny little puppy I just think what wouldn't I give for a dog but then I also am aware because I'm so close to them what an enormous responsibility it is compared with a cat so I'm always just hugely got my eyes wide open and I think actually in a way you might as well just go and have another baby I mean it's a <laughs> is it like is, I, I know you I don't think you have have kids but is it a ma- no. it must be a massive commitment isn't it's it? a huge commitment yeah. it is a huge commitment I often think it's more of a commitment than having a child because children you can send to school and yes, you have true. a yeah and you have a support network around and you know you get other professionals opinions you know regularly and you can punctuate your day perhaps have a bit more time you know to get on with other things yeah, I hadn't dog, thought of that yeah yeah so a dog's with you all the time which so is it's why like it, permanent homeschooling if you've got a dog like pandemic exactly. homeschooling forever. Well, well, I wish people would think of it like that because then if you do train your dog into your sort of natural routine, then it's great. It's easy. So, you know, you get out, have a good run, come back, stretch of work. I do think a garden is important with a dog or a roof terrace or something, you know, so you can pop out mid-morning peas, a little bit of fun, back to settle again. And so you punctuate the day. And I find certainly being freelance, it's so great. So otherwise I'd probably just, you know, get up, spend my whole day in pyjamas unless I had to go somewhere, um, stuck to the laptop, which, you know, isn't a healthy lifestyle. Really. Namaste, motherfuckers. I'm a runner. I run a lot. And I used to think, oh, a dog would be perfect because I could run with the dog. But nothing has made me more aware of the sort of tribes, particularly on Hampstead Heath. And they've actually, anyone listening, there've been a couple of documentaries about this that we'll put links to. There was one in particular where one episode looked at dog walkers, one looked at runners, one looked, and there, there was such vitriol between the different tribes during lockdown. So everyone hated runners. That was that was the common denominator. So everyone hated me. But then it, there was real rivalry about whose park it was, wasn't there? I know, you, totally. Uh, what do well, you I think went, about that? Oh, it's so funny because I went on Jeremy Vine to talk about this, actually. Oh, did <laughs> yeah. but I, I could have been on the opposing team saying they're not all bad <laughs> runners. Yeah, I know, I know. But the thing is, um, what happened in lockdown was runners came into the dog area of the park. So they normally, they, yes, runners. Yes, thanks, Anna, careful how you say this. <laughs> sit to the paths, you know, which yes. is fine. But, um, you know, people were more and more running on the grass areas, um, which 
it wasn't not, wasn't easy for the dogs to accept, particularly if they were off lead, you know. So there was more opportunity for dogs to run up to joggers and go, Oi, why are you on the grassy bit? Get over on the path, you know. Um, I think and- it's a bit like the new dog. So in the same way, we're talking a moment about lockdown dogs, but in the same way you suddenly had dog owners during lockdown who weren't familiar with dogs, you also had runners who weren't yes. familiar with running. Totally. And so as people like me, so you're an experienced dog owner, I'm an experienced runner. I know exactly where to run, what to do, that if a dog runs in front of me, the owner can't necessarily control the dog doing that. And I need to also be mindful of the fact that could happen. So I think we probably know how to be good runners and good dog owners. But suddenly you've got people who'd never done it before, but were doing those things because of lockdown. So in the same way that I feel that lockdown runners really gave people like me a bad name. Do you have a similar feeling about lockdown and dog owners? Yeah, I do, actually. I think a lot of people didn't think dog ownership through. A lot of people bought puppies well online because it was sort of the only way you could because you weren't able to go anywhere to see a puppy in real life and talk to the people in real life. So there was a huge amount of scamming being done. We're living in gosh, a situation with dogs that no one can really believe has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, we, we are letting man's best friend down. There's a lot of unscrupulous oh, breeders. That's another subject. But yeah, going back to the runners and cyclists as well. Yeah, cyclists. <laughs> yeah. Don't even get into unicyclists and segways. That's the whole well, what about thing. e-scooters? I know, but, I know. Yeah, so, I'm about to do a whole comedy show about that. If I can really? only see the funny side. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's all about space and respecting everybody. And You know, sometimes, though, I think runners need to learn about dogs and also dog owners need to train dogs, you know, to have a recall away from joggers, runners. It is a bit of a combination, isn't it? And I know when I because I do all the different things, I also I also love walking. So I'm a Mm. regular walker, dog walker and runner. So I sort of get all the different perspectives. But I know when I'm walking with my friend, Joe, um, who's not the same as your friend, Joe Good, a different Joe. um, When I'm walking with her and her dogs, I know there's one little bit we go up around the back of Kenwood House, which is a very sort of secret little path. You almost never see anyone there. And the the other day there were runners, there were a group of sort of steeplechasers herring through and her the dogs were there and they kept every time that the ones would shout dog um, to the person behind and she was getting really annoyed going why are they shouting dog like the dogs were... and I said it's literally because they're coming around blind corners and we've got these little dogs and it's highly likely if they didn't know there were dogs someone's going to trip over the dog so it's kind of like in that case no one was really in the right you know we've got the dogs on lead at that point but it's a narrow path the runners are herring around but it is it, it's funny how it it seemed that that's where you think of parks and green space as being so good for our mental health and animals being so good for us. And suddenly this was where things were boiling over with these kind of feuding on Amsterdam Eve. It was crazy. Well, I'm near to to the Hackney Marshes, so they're my stomping ground. And I couldn't believe it. You know, people that had clearly never really been in in a sort of London public outdoor space before were strolling around. I remember one morning being out with the dogs and this lovely girl just said to her boyfriend, Fred or whoever, you know, look, look, they're dogs. And I was thinking, gosh, yes, you know, and I went, oh, morning, you know, but people were kind of spellbound, literally. Yeah, by seeing and suddenly using spaces in a way they hadn't before. Yeah. And do you think, in ter- because obviously, you know, the relationship with, with man, stroke human and dog, you know, has been, you know, over 30,000 years. So some things 
gone gone right and I know it's your belief um and Mike our producer was very keen to tell me this he said you essentially Anna probably thinks dogs are more important than humans Kelly so if you start from that perspective you'll be all right and (laughs) and I've heard you say that it's a privilege not a right to own a dog yes so tell us about your sort of thoughts so anyone who's listening who's thinking well I'd love a dog or should I or shouldn't I so so what is your view about about our interactions and ownership of dogs okay that it is really a fundamental commitment you Mm. know it is about Um, building and sharing a lifelong relationship going on a journey with this hugely intelligent emotional creature and you know experiencing the ups and the downs it's not all plain sailing you you have to be prepared to put a lot of work in dogs aren't born trained you know a dog in your life has to become a project a real family member um that's that's day in day out like saying you can't suddenly forget to raise a kid well that's it I mean you know one of my big rants and bugbears is this um, massive surge in dog walking companies and doggy crashes. Um, back in 2002 and before that none of these services existed at all um, and by 2000 really it was 2005 that the UK went boof there was this tidal wave as everything from America hit our shores. So was that what it was so we, we were getting Americanized in terms yeah, of the idea we getting, of dog crashes and dog and, and outsourcing your dog. Outsourcing um, so that people think, oh, I can do my nine till five and have my dog in a creche. Mm-hmm. You know, half of me was thinking, gosh, that would have been amazing when I was younger. But also, really, I'm not sure. I don't like it if my dog's not with me. And dogs aren't like children. You know, there's a lot of similarities, but essentially, obviously, there's a lot of differences. Mm-hmm. Children know they've got to go to play school. There's teachers there that are well qualified. You know, it's a very interactive situation, mm-hmm. um, monitored and all the rest of it whereas you know with crushes dogs some dogs don't like each other for example so mm-hmm. an anxious dog can go into daycare and come out totally you know angst-ridden mm-hmm. a more confident bullyish type dog will come out you know stomping Having around stolen acting. the little dog's lunch money exactly eating his sandwiches you know um so that's that's the difference um really and also you know the more time you spend with your dog the better you're going to get to know your dog and if you don't walk your dog really I mean I like to walk mine every day if I can there are odd times where you can't and you and with your breed of dog you could miss a day and it wouldn't be the end of the world because bulls and there she is oh look at prudence I know look at prudence well prudence happens to have the most energy of any bull terrier ever born and I kind of do jokes saying she could be the solution to global warming because um (laughs) who could definitely get her on a treadmill plug in the energy and I'm sure she'd power Wales um so, so she's she, not like Molly so Prudence not was, like the, Molly. was the follow on the sequel to Molly and very the, different the sequel to Molly it's so different and I think this happens to so many people and it's just a reminder you know you think oh you know my golden retrievers passed away you know I must get another golden retriever yes you can understand that because there's qualities of that dog that you totally love and and, and want to replicate but I can't underline enough how two golden retrievers or two bull terriers can be so totally different Um, But you know what? I've really got my head around this in the last six years because Prudence is six now. Um, And she was obviously sent for a reason. And without her, you know, life would have been different. I mean, I've had to really train her, um, take a lot of exercise with her where the marshes have been brilliant. And she has been a whole new enlightening experience, really. So... 
but not an easy and I've now just seen gremlin your little cat has just appeared I was my cat my may or may not appear I've got one I've got one remaining cat it's interesting you say that because it's a bit like trying to sort of get over a you know divorce by immediately meeting someone else it's a rebound relationship and I guess with animals it's tempting I know when Sid after Sid had been put to sleep and because the kids had just left. So suddenly I was in this incredibly empty home, just me and one other menopausal female in the house. Now she's my age, I think in human um, years, God help her. So, and the temptation, I think I was really projecting my feelings onto her. And I was thinking, well, she obviously needs another animal. You know, she's going to be incredibly unhappy, but actually having given her now, it's only been two, three weeks, but she's actually really happy. She's very settled and very, she's turned almost into a bit of a dog. She follows me around, waits for me at the door, is completely attached to me at the moment. I think because she knows something's massively changed and she's lost the other cat who she's known since she was a kitten. But it's very tempting, isn't it? Like, Like human grief to think, well, I'll just replace that that I'll fill that gap with something that will anesthetize me. But actually, I think you do have to grieve animals like you do humans. Do you agree? Yeah, you do. You do. But something my dad taught me um, is that the hair of the dog cure uh, has got nothing to do with hangovers Mm -hmm. and everything to do with healing your heart. And I've, I've met a lot of people that have stayed in that grief for so, so, so long. And they find that they're unable to ever own a dog again, okay. which I so feel is processing a it shape. and allowing yourself yeah. to move on. So, you know, prudence helped, you know, well, help me get out of bed at times, I'll be honest, which sounds a bit really extreme, but, you know, and focus and and, and stay in the moment. And this was which... because of the loss of Molly, where you'd had such yes. an intense relationship. And I, I yeah. know Molly died younger than you would have would have had. Yeah. So you yeah. lost Molly prematurely. Yeah. I mean, you know, she was 13, but and uh, she was, you know, in in good good spirits, and uh, unfortunately, something really awful happened. Um, which again, you have to think, you know, it was perhaps meant to happen. Was this meant to happen to teach me something? You know, I feel that's the other thing with dogs. You know, you've got to remember it's a journey, and you have experiences, your funny moments, sad moments, God, crazy moments where you know they're having emergency surgery, and you don't know if you'll ever see them again. Moments, um, it's a a real roller coaster and you um, described it as it's funny when I was doing the research for you and I, I always sort of make a few notes and think about the sort of structure of some of the things I want to talk about which listeners may think do you it doesn't sound like it but um <laughs> but one of the things I thought it, it's kind of like a life in animals for you the sort of chapters of your life you can really I, it helped me remember them by the names of the animals and the things I'd heard you say does mm. it feel a bit like that that the, that the dogs and the animals mark the chapters of your own life well totally totally and again many years ago one of my fond memories with dad was um he just made a remark he was we were going through an old photo album and he was showing me pictures of some of his old Labradors namely one Judy this uh, uh Firefox red Labrador beautiful dog but the pictures are black and white so they were taken around about you know 1940 40-ish mm-hmm. she was quite an old dad and um um and he said Anna you can define your life dogs are the chapters in your life okay so your dad actually said that yeah 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 dad said that and I so remember that as well so you know all the only memories I really have with dad are now positive ones and they all relate to animals really and he um, said again I think I heard I think it I can't remember who's I think it might have been I know our producer did a Valentine's Day oh, episode yes. of your podcast not because 
because you and Mike are in love, but because <laughs> it was a sort of love story to you and what you do with animals and your love story with dogs. And I think on that, I heard you say that your dad had said you can never go wrong with the love of a dog, which I thought was because it's very hard to find safe, unconditional love in the world. And I guess that's partly why people who love animals are drawn to animals, right? Oh, totally. I mean, I have this theory that the reason the dog was the first domesticated animal um, was that we realized way back then that dogs had um, the one thing that the human condition lacks, which is unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And I think, <laughs> yeah, so, and that's... I've certainly lacked that a lot in my life. <laughs> I've been looking for it a lot. So I know, maybe I a dog think, is the answer. <laughs> yeah, dogs do give up. So do cats. You know, people say, oh, cats are just cupboard love. That, I don't believe. Cats are real people. I mean, anyone who says cats aren't people, I mean, aren't, both aren't, aren't people animals. I know they're not people, in case anyone thinks I've lost my mind. But they definitely, <laughs> the cats we've had, um, you know, since the kids were little in this family have been totally people cats I know when my son my son's so lovely with animals and he just was joined at the hip to the cats during lockdown and when he left mm. home they were bereft they didn't know what to do and or they kept going around and waiting on his bed for him and it wasn't oh. oh we've got a nice home we don't care they were like where's he gone um, and it took them a while to sort of bond with me a bit more because I was all they had and I do think do you, do you think in terms of um animals the, the, the idea of therapy animals. So I know we've known for a long time that, you know, stroking animals and being with animals releases oxytocin and it's a it's a proper stress reliever. And I've been researching capybaras, which as some listeners will know, are sort of giant rodents. They look a bit like a guinea pig. They're massive. Oh, I know those. Yeah. Yes. And they're, they're um, and again, I'm at the stage of doing research for some comedy stuff I'm doing, but they're sort of, they're used as therapy animals with humans, but also they're really good with other animals. So if you put a capybara in with disturbed, traumatized other animals, animals they have this I I think they're like the sort of stoned wise person at the party Um, (laughs) but is it what do you think about therapy dogs and therapy animals I think I think it's great you know I think dogs can gosh having you know spent quite a bit of time in my mum's old people's home you know when she had dementia um I used to take little Mr Binks the co-host of my podcast actually in with me because he's small and um you know, I could pick him up easily if something happened and you could just see their faces light up you know the other uh guests I guess you could call it in mm-hmm. the care home and how they loved it and the open conversation I found out that one um lovely old boy um used to work in the air force as a dog handler and he mm-hmm. suddenly started to tell me all of this which I thought was such a compliment to be honest mm-hmm. and people would laugh and smile and it just showed me um how strong the effect on therapy with therapy dogs really is and I can imagine you know with children particularly as well um it opens people up takes their mind off why they're there if they're in hospital and um it's quite primal isn't it I think it one of the yeah, things that you think about all the kind of mindfulness that we've all brought to I know it's existed for a long long time but in the west that we're now understanding is quite an integral part and that's partly why the podcast called namaste motherfuckers is a sort of wry <laughs> nod to the fact that I do also believe in all that stuff and there's something about being with an animal if you really engage in being with them whether you're walking them or sitting with them or stroking them it's an incredibly in the moment experience and I think animals also will feed back to you your stress if you're very stressed um, an animal won't probably want you to sit with it and stroke it and you sort of need to settle for an animal to want to settle with you which is a 
brilliant way of holding up a mirror to your emotional state isn't it you've got it so right I mean in lockdown there were moments where I was a bit stressed out and for the first time you know when I realized my stress levels were really bubbling over Prudence who's now sat on my knee quite relaxed um, would just look at me as if to say get over yourself and leave the room because she's a bull terrier she's not a Labrador that would go oh dear you're feeling a bit stressed I'll put my head on your lap Prudence thinking crikey get over it right now (laughs) (laughs) get over it this is ridiculous you're doing my head in and would leave and it would it would be you know right in tandem when I'd be shouting at the computer or something yeah that's really Um, interesting when they do I do notice that with my cat that she'll be really peacefully not even sort of on my knee but in the room and the same thing if if I suddenly get agitated or I speak in a different you know at a different pitch she's Mm. like right and she literally she just like wanders off she's like well you know I'm not not I didn't sign up for this what do you think about people who have a an inherent fear of or cynicism about animals well again it's something my dad said you know never trust anyone who doesn't love a dog Mm. you know um that could save me a lot of dating (laughs) your dad had told me that yeah no seriously honestly and my dad honestly we argue so much and um you know we were so politically opposed when I was growing up and oh gosh you know I had an eating disorder which he didn't understand I mean our relationship was terrible but but with animals and I suppose in those days people didn't either I mean it's only more recently that people have understood that an eating disorder is absolutely up there with any other kind of addiction yeah absolutely you know yeah yeah so that was all kind of strange but um I just think, yeah, he had, it made a lot of sense, really, to me, you know, why? Because remember, as well, I learned a lot about animal cruelty cases at a very young age. Through his role was, in the RSPCA. Yeah. So about age eight, you know, I'll never forget the story about Lucy, the Afghan hound that was kept in this tiny shed to die, basically. The people had just left her there and she was discovered like so rake thin. It was oh. 50-50 whether she'd live. And um. You know, she did and she found a great home and but um I couldn't get my head around that one of the dogs I'm training um is uh, a little dog that lives in a household with um twins uh one of whom is seriously afraid of um this puppy and you know I'm working with everyone in the house to help him overcome his fear and it was only today actually that uh, this little puppy was sat on my knee and um and the, and the child came and sat you know next to me and started to really stroke the dog um, that's got to be a real mo- I was going to say what are the most fulfilling things about your job totally. but that must be incredible it was great it was really spontaneous no one was expecting it either and this has all happened in just a few weeks so going from being very fearful um, of a tiny puppy I mean he's super cute to you know, being really quite interested in him mm-hmm. so and being kind and saying he felt very soft which I just thought was so great so um you know but I I when I hear that I think you might have the best job in the world I'm sure it doesn't always (laughs) feel like it but there must be the 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 ups I know I know my um, my daughter who was living in Amsterdam during the lockdown and she is a runner as well and she would run around the rest of park which is the west the west park of Amsterdam as the name might indicate and there were there was a puppy school there and she used to look up when the puppy school was in session and always make sure she ran (laughs) when it was the little puppies and it was so so sweet but on the other hand I used to stand and watch them with her when I'd visit 
but I did think god there must be a story behind each of these little puppies and what it's like to live with them at home it can't all be as cute as it looks and you could see in the park when you were watching the puppy training you could just see that some of the owners and the puppies were all over the show and some were really getting it and you could sort of see the the person running the class was getting somewhat more exasperated with somebody it must be incredibly rewarding when you are helping owners pave the way to a successful dog ownership oh totally absolutely and you know you get a whole mixed bag and you're really training the people obviously and you've got to manage people's expectations um but it's a great way to highlight the commit the more work you put in the the more results you get that's the thing can you travel with because one of the things when I think about getting a dog um is uh, the, the thing that most because I'm like you freelance I live near Hampstead Heath I love mm. the outdoors I walk a lot I can get a dog of energy. Yeah. I'd love to get a dog and I think I'd be um if my son was is listening to this which he probably won't be because why would he be interested in his mother but he would be shouting at this going don't, don't get a dog mom you know but the thing that stops me thinking I could get a dog is that I, I live in Amsterdam some of the time and I do travel a lot and even though I know you can get a dog passport mm. I just feel would that be really mean like taking the dog around with me because of my lifestyle or maybe it wouldn't be I don't know well, look, we're living in a modern age and we have this amazing invention called the rabies um, vaccine now, mm-hmm. which um, has enabled the pet passport to happen because obviously I grew up like you, where dogs, there was no alternative. They were grounded like we yeah. now are as Brits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, quarantine. And that was mm-hmm. that, you know, which can be quite traumatic. Um, I think, you know, if you were to drive to Amsterdam with him sat on the passenger seat, I think that that would be great. Um, and I do drive a lot. So you think the drive, yeah, because then I suppose they're having a sort version of the experience they have in everyday yeah, exactly. life you. they're not on sort of trains or yeah having a miserable time yeah and the Eurostar won't accept dogs on the train so the only way is to go through to the drive. Euro tunnel yeah. which is so dog friendly and I've done it quite no, a few times they've got proper dog well every time I go now because I've yeah. been toying with a dog for a while I look at that and I think oh you know I could have a dog and I could and, I, and when I'm in Amsterdam that's such a dog friendly city it is and I, I, and I go over on my bike and I think I could take my dog around with me and it'd be wonderful so you don't think travel if you are wise about it and it can be largely done by car you don't think that's the reason not to have a dog no lots of people I know do it to be fair I just think leaving uh, you know your dog in the hold of a plane I couldn't do a, that it would no they've been I'll be honest with you Kelly there have been some dreadful stories I you know, dreadful true life stories so um so no place so try not to get a dog if you might have to fly with it but as long no. as you can keep it with you in a exactly. controlled environment that would not be cruel I'm saying this no. also because my mum and dad always listen to this podcast oh. and I don't think they think I should get a dog so mum and dad I've just had permission <laughs> from Anna from a dog whisperer um I was gonna say training your dog to fit with your lifestyle is really easy um you know it really isn't difficult and I think it would just be a fabulous addition to your life you know you could do some running on the heath and you know train her him to sit in your car and travel exemplarily and do you um, think it would help because in the same way that you had your relationship with someone else with a dog that you got to know well um my friend has said you know she she knows the breeder that she's got her dogs from and she said look if you get a dog she's always had dogs she said let me help you do it because I am a dog person I understand what what you need yes. to be looking for and she also said if I got one the same breed as her dogs she said then we can absolutely make sure from the get-go that they know each other and then if you did need to go away we can have the dog and the dog will be integrated is that a that's not just a pie in the sky thing that could happen if we all engaged in it properly I think it? that's a brilliant way to do it to be honest so are they the wild coat standard taxis? yes 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 well they're brilliant dogs I love them 
Peter Purvis, by the way, loves um, the standard wirehead taxi. Oh, really? Well, yes. Peter Purvis, big name in He's, my yeah. uh, childhood. <laughs> well, yeah. and in mine. Gosh, it dates us, but it, it is does. true. They'll be younger. They'll be our Gen Z listeners going, what the actual are you talking Who about? Who is he? Yeah, who's yeah. Peter Purvis? Uh, I, we all think of, um, of what's the other one called, with Shep the dog. What was he called? Um, was he, uh, um, John Noakes. John Noakes. We always think of him as the dog person. Namaste, motherfuckers. What would you pick? as your namaste motherfucking life-changing moment? Well, I know I've spoken about my dad a bit too much, but um, I think it was when we rescued uh, Minnie, a golden cocker spaniel from... um, uh, the National Canine Defence League. So I would have been 16. And this dog was actually, you know, not going to be able to be re- rehomed um, because she was very aggressive. And dad went up to her and it was just after Tina had died and um, he couldn't get close to her, you know. And he said, go on, Anna, go on, you, ha- you, you have a go. And I remember turning around saying, dad, God, if she bites me, you're really in for it, you know. So I, I went over and just held, held my hand out and she came towards me and um, that was that really. And she came home with us that day and we had to be a bit careful with her. She did have a bit of a funny temperament, but um, that was really the first dog I really called my own, if you like. We were totally bonded, really bonded as she had somehow chosen me. So that was a moment where I kind of thought, well, maybe... I'm special to dogs. Maybe, you know, if she hadn't liked anyone else that had tried to go near her, maybe there's something different. And that for me was a a huge compliment. Do you think then the same way that there really are horse whisperers? Um, When I did my master's in NLP, we did did a whole Ah. day with a horse whisperer, which was really fascinating in terms of looking again at that kind of telepathic bond and what's possible. Do you think that there is a sort of dog whisperer equivalent? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think it's people like we're saying who, you know, really value and want to understand animals more and how they can fit into your your life and look at them as emotionally intelligent creatures. I mean, I often when I come home, I'll go from being out, I'll go, hello, people, (laughs) you know, because these are my people. I know they're not people, obviously, Um, but they're my tribe. They're they're my, you know, social network in a Rupert Sheldrake way, you know. Um, Do you understand what animals can give to you? I think that's what my dad taught me, that there's a lot more to animals than met the eye. What's your favourite joke? Okay, so, all right, so, okay, probably, I hope people haven't heard this already. So, um, Callie, what do you call a drummer without a girlfriend? I don't know. What do you call a drummer without a girlfriend? Homeless. <laughs> Having dated two drummers, I'm like, do I laugh or cry? I <laughs> yeah. just laugh comes out. <laughs> I know what you're saying. <laughs> and if there was one bit of life advice you would oh, give gosh. to anyone listening, what would it be? Okay. Gosh, right. Well, I suppose it has to be, you know, if you're getting this urge as a Londoner to leave for the idyllic cottage with a large 70 foot south facing garden, um, please think twice. Please think twice. Um, I, I really mean that. I think, you know, you, you get very blasé, don't you, about what London has. And you think, oh, gosh, I can't get on the overground again today. Um, but then when it's not there, you really, really miss it. 
I pick a thing inspired by my guests that I'm going to try. And this week, I'm going to read Sheldrake's Dogs That Know When Their Owners Are Coming Home. There's a link to that in the show notes. And then I'm going to see if I can psychically bring my cat home, which would be a really good thing because she's a rescue cat. She's called Crystal. When we got her, I wanted to change the name. The kids wouldn't hear of it. And I'd really, really like never again to have to shout Crystal and walk around shaking a bag of cat food in the mean streets of Kentish Town. So that's it for this week. Thanks again to you for supporting the podcast. Remember to take a moment to rate it, review it, recommend it. Please also do listen to Anna's brilliant podcast, A Dog's Life. And we will be back in your feed next Monday, as always, when I will be talking to comedian, actor and bad boy of Strictly Come Dancing, who actually is about as nice a boy as ever you will meet. Sean Walsh. And I knew how much I loved alcohol as a young man. I knew that I needed to absolutely keep the two apart. Namaste Motherfuckers was written and presented by me, Callie Beaton, and produced by Mike Hansen and Karusha Dami for Pod People Productions, with music by Jake Yap. I'm Callie Beaton. Until next time, motherfuckers. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.